We're going to use Symbio to study how protein interact in healthy versus cancerous human cells. And then we build maps of these protein interactions. And by comparing these maps, you can tell what are the differences between healthy and cancerous, right? So you can identify what are the key proteins, protein interactions that are cancer causing, that are significant only observed in cancer patients, but not in healthy ones, right? And then you can design drugs, particularly targeting this cancer causing protein interactions. Welcome to the Girl Tech Talk podcast. I'm your host, Sophia Tang. This podcast tells the stories of female and non-binary identifying CEOs, founders, entrepreneurs, and leaders who took unconventional pathways that cultivated their strengths and talents towards innovation, global change, and their unique version of success. Here at Girl Tech Boss, we believe exposure is the key to innovation. So by sharing the learnings, challenges, mindsets, and successes that make up the unique journeys of women in diverse fields of STEM, we will inspire youth to seek their own success journey and make their mark on the world. Hello, and welcome back to the Girl Tech Talk podcast. In this episode, I'm excited to introduce our guest, Will Cow, the co-founder and CEO of Pando Bioscience, a synthetic biology platform company working on expanding the understanding of human diseases with a multidimensional platform that combines high-throughput protein-protein interaction detection and AI-powered analysis to uncover a patient's genotype-phenotype relationship and discover protein-protein interaction targeting drugs. Previously, she was a senior design engineer at Ginkgo Bioworks. Will, thank you so much for joining us today, and I'll let you add anything that I might have missed in your introduction. Oh, thank you so much for the intro. Yeah, I think that's very uh, Sarah intro. Yeah, <laughs> nice to be here. Yeah, it's really great to have you. Just to start off, when I was looking into your background, I actually noticed that you switched your major from mechanical engineering to bioengineering during your PhD. Can you tell us a bit about what prompted that shift in your major? Yeah, that's a super good question. So it really has something to do with how my department is shaped uh, during my undergrad. So I had my undergrad in China. It's called Tsinghua University. So uh, if you know, that is kind of like the Chinese version of MIT, but very, very old engineering school. It is so engineering that when we say mechanical engineering at Tsinghua, it's more talking about material science about metal particularly and then there is a department called precise like device department that's is actually doing the real mechanical kind of engineering and when I joined my undergrad I wanted to do something like what Boston Dynamic is making you know but then I realized okay great now am I just making alloys like metal metal powders every day which is really fun because you study how the metal can be strong, can be anti-corrosive, right? But somehow that's just not my passion. Uh, and then uh, during my undergrad, I take two uh, exchange kind of pro summer program in US. One is in University of Delaware. The other one is in UC Davis. So one of them is doing, you know, like kind of like study how strong the bone is after feeding certain medicine to the mouse. And then you are using simulation to study like how, how good the medicine is, right? And then the other one is doing microfluidic type of uh, research. Um, so I felt like, you know what? It's really interesting to do something with engineering and biology. I, I know I always want to do a PhD in my life, 
Um, so I'm just like very, very sure I want to have my PhD touch something with biology and uh, my expertise, which I think is engineering and math. So therefore, uh, I come came across this like new, quite a new uh, area called synthetic biology. So I search around like what university have a very good program of this. And uh, that's actually how I, you know, get to know my advisor from Duke. And that's how I uh, get into biomedical engineering and doing synthetic biology research. Yeah, it seems like you made a very important shift in your education that truly resonated with your passions. So can you tell us a bit about what the most significant differences between bioengineering and mechanical engineering are? The major difference, um, I think, so when I was at undergrad, I do laser cladding. So what it is, is you make a, like a, like a powder of these metals, right? Like for example, you, uh, like ABCD powders, you mix together with different percentage, right? And then you use laser, you with like different power, uh, different, like all kinds of parameters you can change. You weld and melt the metal, let it re cool down and form a new alloy. And then you test all the properties of it. So then what you do is if you want to study anti-corrosive, then you use acid to cor- corrosive it, right? And then go under the microscope to see the microstructure of how these metals react. Um, so that's when I was at undergrad. And I felt like this is really interesting, but just that's just not where my passion is, right? Um, so I, it's very different actually with any biology if you hear in the description. Then when I joined my grad school, uh, when I what I do is I started to make basically uh, genetic engineering, I build gene circuit for bacteria, right? So you have to think, okay, what is the logic that behind uh, the feature that I want to make, right? So you may think about, okay, so my project is actually to make bacteria grow into a pattern. So in this particular case, a bullseye pattern that look like the target sign, you know, like a red dot and then a ring. Um, then you have to think about, okay, so what kind of circuit do I put in it that the bacteria will, you know, grow or form some kind of pattern of that? So you would come up with a new logic, then put that into the gene circuit. Then you put the gene circuit in the real cell and let the cell grow and observe it under the microscope. So you can see it's absolutely different with the uh, mechanical engineering, although the, all the observed method is the same, right? You, you come up with something, then you use some kind of instrument or tools to validate that. Right. But the uh, but the whole story and methodologies are like in details are very, very different. And the what's cool about synthetic biology is before you put all your effort, build this gene circuit. First of all, you ask the question, is the logic that I come up with that can make this pattern real or not? So how do you do that? Right. You do that with simulation. So you would say, okay, A is promoting B, B is inhibiting A, right? So how's that dynamic going to look like? Let me simulate on the computer, right? Like, let me see what a computational bacteria grow into. Then you realize, oh, you know what? There's a certain parameter can really make this bullseye. Let's go into the lab and make that. So that's kind of like where the simulation and computational part comes into place, right? And that's what really makes me super excited because you're not just like trying to find the needle in the ocean you sort of have a, it's kind of like, maybe there's a bad metaphor. You have a fishing line. So you know where your hook or needle is going. You know, you it's like your simulation is the fishing line, right? Uh, so it tells you like, you, you can trace back what's going on. So I, I really like this uh, combination of computation and experiment together. Yeah, that's really interesting. Did you actually learn the computational side of things when you were in university? Or did you have to learn that from scratch when you actually went into Duke University when you were researching this? 
Yeah, super good question. Um, so I uh, there are some like computer science class we take, but it's more on C or C plus plus plus, right? When I was in undergrad, and also it belongs to like an optional class. So when I took the class, I never thought about one day I'm gonna use programming languages, right? And uh, when I joined like my grad school program at Duke, uh, my, my advisor did ask me like, hey, have you like programmed or something, right? I said like, well, I learned C++ and C, but I'm not sure. And by the way, like, I, I don't know how you guys do class in US, but in China, some of the class are really that like, like you, you take some class really seriously, some not that seriously. And for me, the C class, I definitely did not take it seriously. <laughs> so if, if you let me now write some code in C, I don't think I can do that anymore. Okay. So that's kind of like the situation when I joined my grad school, but I just told him like, I took the class, but I never wrote for any project. I'm just being honest, but I think I can learn. Like, like I always have a very optimistic attitude, right? I, I, I just, I, I think he probably like felt like, well, if you say you can't, I guess you can. Um, so when I, you know, started uh, grad school, I did use MATLAB a little bit when I was in uh, U Delaware for the exchange program, um, but not a ton. So I, I sort of know how to write the language, but you know what practice makes perfect. That's what I always think for language learning, like particular computational language, like a, a, a professional training is important, but the you learn the most through practice. I think it's even same for like real human language, right? Like think about like ancient people, they don't need to go to school to take training, but they are able to speak Chinese, English or whatever, right? So I think it's really the same. Um, so when I when I was at Duke, I just like try to program uh, like learning it while practicing it because I have a goal. I need to make all the simulations. So it's just getting better and better. It's actually the same thing when I joined Ginkgo is they asked me like, do you use Python? I actually never use Python in my grad school. We only use MATLAB. And I'm being very honest. I was like, well, I never use Python, but I'm very good at MATLAB. And I think I can write things in Python very fast. And, you know, like they probably touched by my confidence or whatever. And then I got into Ginkgo and I learned Python really fast as well. Yeah, I definitely think that's a really good point. When you're learning, especially code, it's really hard to kind of pick up on the problem solving skills that you have. I think that's the something that people learn when they first write code, just how to problem solve. And once you have that skill, it's really easy to kind of transfer that between different languages. So I think mm -hmm. if you're going into computer science or even like bioengineering, yeah. I think it's really important to kind of develop that problem solving skill. And then mm -hmm. you can kind of transfer that between various different languages. Yeah. yeah. And can I touch on one more thing is, uh, of course, I, I don't know, like, uh, so, so, you know, sometimes like in a, in a, no matter in like a professional setting or school setting, you realize there, there's some guys, what is it the word called? Like men's splashing, right? Or there's a word. Explain. Yeah, exactly. It's like, they, they seem to like, I'm the expert, but they're just so confident talking whatever they are. Like they, 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 they don't even know if you're the expert, but they just talk so confidently of what they think they know, you know, but I felt like a majority of the time I see girls are more conservative. They were like, oh, you know what? I don't have like a 10 years experience in that. So I don't feel comfortable to say I'm good at that. Um, which I really want to encourage everyone is if you think you have the learning capability and even though you've never done it, you can still say your relevant past experience, right? For my case is, you know what? I never use Python, but I have used MATLAB so many times and they are all languages. So I think I can totally learn Python, like say it in a comfortable, like comfortable and confident way. 
And other people will also be, you know, like convinced by you. But if you're like, ah, oh, I never use Python. Yeah, I never take like training, but you know what? I'm, I'm, I can't blah, blah, blah. Like that, that just makes people feel like you don't have the confidence to, to learn new things. Right. So I just uh, encourage people or girls, right. To be more confident and trust your past experience. And uh, you can do whatever you can as long as you're willing to learn. Yeah, I definitely agree. I think girls always sell themselves short when they're pitching themselves. And I think it's very important to know that you have your special skill set that you bring to the table. So it's very important to leverage that um, whenever you can. Going more into your work in creating biological circuits and designing them, can you talk a bit more about the mechanisms behind that and what these circuits actually are? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So the, the name of gene circuit actually come from electric circuit, right? It's kind of like you have the resistance, you have the battery, have all these uh, well-standard electronic components, then you combine them together, right? You well-characterize them so you know what, what kind of amp or voltage or, you know, whatever features you're expecting to see in that electronic circuit board, right? So the same idea with gene circuit is, um, you know, you, you, you of course know all the parts, for example, like this promoter, right, is uh, triggering the downstream gene expression. So when we usually say gene circuit, it means a a or multiple plasmids of DNAs. So these DNAs have like the promoter, RBS, if you're using bacteria, right? The, the open reading frame, CDS, whatever you call it, terminator, right? These are all kind of like the genetic parts. So it's like the electric board, right? You, you need all these parts to together, then they become a unit. This unit can be function in this microbes, right? Um, and this, this is one unit, but these units usually have logic. For example, this, First, the unit is making a protein A that is triggering, let's say, activating a next promoter, right? So this next prom promoter will express other protein B, right? And this protein B, versus versa, you, you can imagine it could either have some reaction back to A or new reaction to the new components, right? So you can imagine this circuit can just grow larger and larger, depends on what logic you want to introduce to the microbe you are designing, right? So, so, so in simple word, these are all DNAs. And uh, of course, there are all RNA circuit as well. But usually when you're putting the microbes, they will translate into proteins, right? And protein will have functions. They can interact or you can just measure that protein uh, depends on whatever kind of like output you want to see. Yeah, that's really interesting. And I'm sure a lot of this research kind of went into how you developed your startup, Pando Bioscience. So can you share a bit more about the origin story of your startup and what kind of prompted you to start this new venture? So first of all, I myself is super interested in entrepreneurship. That's why uh, at the end of my PhD, I did kind of like a six months postdoc at my original lab because my advisor really want me to, you know, have my own venture as well. And we we're like, so what are we going to do? So we were thinking about, oh, what about we engineered a microbe that, by the way, that's five years ago. What about we engineered a microbe? to help uh, decay alcohol. So so you, have you heard of a word called Asian glow? It's like when, when we drink beer or alcohol, whatever, we become red. The reason is because we're lack of a alcohol dehydrogenase enzyme, a particular one. So what I want to do is I want to introduce this enzyme through a engineered yogurt. So basically you will drink the microbe that usually make your yogurt. You take it as a supplement uh, before you drink or after you drink. And then this supplement you ingest will make this enzyme in your gut actively helping you digest your alcohol. So that's my a very, very original entrepreneur idea. And that was like, 
you know what? I don't even know what a company org chart means. I don't even know what do you need in a company because I never ever worked in a company for a single second before. Uh, I never done an internship. I, I never even bothered try to know more, you know? I don't know why, but that's just the situation at my PhD. Like um, I heard stories, but I never worked there for a second. So, so I was like, you know what? Why don't I just join a startup for a few years get the sense how a company works, how to how how to manage, how the business side looks like, how the how the internal startup feeling is. Then I will start my own startup. Uh, so I always know that uh, even before I joined Ginkgo, and that that's kind of like how the early entrepreneur idea uh, come from, right? So then I joined Ginkgo as a very early employee, and roughly I guess two years ago ish. Uh, like I know roughly now it's the time to, you know, like start my own thing, but I don't know what it is. So being like talking to people, right. And then I found my current co-founder. I was like, Hey, do you want it to start a, a company together or entrepreneur or something like let's brainstorm an idea. And then we brainstormed the many, many ideas. But one of them is actually, uh, he's like, Hey, you know what? My postdoc is doing this. What do you think we can do with this technology? Uh, so basically it's using uh, yeast to detect a human uh, to detect a protein protein interaction of course you can use this to do many many things right uh like pharmaceutical or basic research whatever but the technique is there and and then i was like oh that sounds really interesting and, and he has a lot of preliminary data showing how good the technology is right and then we were just brainstorming what kind of field or directions we can take with this technology. Of course, we pivoted many times, but the eventual idea or the things we're doing right now is we are trying to use synthetic biology to do uh, drug discovery for cancer. So the basic idea is we're going to use SingBio to study how protein interact in healthy versus cancerous human cells. And then we build maps of these protein interactions. And by comparing these maps, you can tell what are the differences between healthy and cancerous, right? So you can identify what are the key proteins, protein interactions that are cancer causing, that are significant, only observed in cancer patients, but not in healthy ones, right? And then you can design drugs, particularly targeting this cancer causing protein interactions. So that's kind of like our company's two sentence description, but it's after a long time brainstorming back and forth, reverting, discussing, arguing, you know. That sounds amazing. When you were kind of arguing, you just mentioned kind of coming up with these ideas, what parameters or what frameworks were you using to validate which one you think would have the largest impact or would have a viable market to go into? Like, what were you thinking about when you were ideating? Super good question. Like, um, by the way, our company is also in Y Combinator right now, right? And you know, Y Combinator, uh, the partners usually talk about what's the most important is actually product market fit, right? If you realize like, no matter how much money you make or whatever, as long as you don't have a product market fit, it's nothing because no one going to need your product. Like it has no need. Then who are you making the stuff for, right? Uh, same thing thing here. How do you find it is super important. Uh, the most dangerous part will be you think this will be loved 
by everyone in your own imaginary world, you know, and then you never talk to anyone. You just think everybody gonna love it when I have it, right? And and then you you realize like, oh, that's not the case, right? Um, so our like long term pivoting, we pivoted so much with the same technology. Actually, by talking to people, we thought about, oh, you know what, we can do this. Like for example, maybe maybe someone heard our technology, we brainstormed together, and this person like, oh, why don't you do A, right? Because we saw a lot of needing A. And then we're, we're talking to BCD. It was like, hey, we're trying to do this A method. What do you think? And they were all like, really? We, we never need it, right? Like, like I, I've been in the field for like 15 years. We never thought we had this need. Or, uh, you know, so, so there could be a market fit, but that could be really, really small. So if you're not like the supreme expert in this field, which we are not, because we're also relatively young, right? We have experience, but not like 20 years of experience. So you really can only know your product market fit by talking talking to your potential customers or the people who are going to be impact by this technology or product, right? Uh, so go to talk to your users or customers and see, is that a real need? And, and I think another thing very important is because when you believe something and you have a sunk cost, right? Because you were like, oh, I made a pitch deck or I already spent like a few months. I, I've, I already spent money on this. Like, I feel so bad if someone tell me something and I need to pivot. So even though they're trying to ask opinions and suggestions, but they're not necessarily listening to them. They're not taking actions on them. So I think it's very important to realize if uh, like be willing to admit Sometimes you can be wrong. You are choosing the wrong direction. Like it's pretty important, uh, but it doesn't mean like whatever other people say, you should just follow that, right? Because then you're just going to be pivoting every day, right? But really keep an open mind, uh, like let it sink and then think, is that real? If it is real, like don't feel discouraged to pivot, like have the courage to do do something that is right. Yeah, I think that's definitely a major learning that a lot of people might go through when they're going from academia into entrepreneurship, where um, in academia, it's really about studying exactly how things work. But in entrepreneurship, it's more about how can we create a product for a specific market. So I think that's a really great point you made. And I was also wondering when you were transitioning between academia and entrepreneurship, were there any other like major things that you had to learn or redefine for yourself in your mind? Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. So for me, right, like, uh, I didn't directly change from uh, academia to entrepreneurship, right? Although that moment uh, at the end of my PhD, I did try to, but then I realized, I don't know how to do entrepreneur. I don't even know how a startup looks. Like. I don't even know how or, or organization looks like. So I did work in uh, Ginkgo for five years, right? Those five years are supreme important because first of all, you know what you want to do in your future career, right? Like for me, even now you ask my boss, like the, my boss at Ginkgo, they all know, like when they ask me, what is your long-term career goal? I told them like crystal clear as I want to be an entrepreneur. Like I told them, I, I don't mind, like they know it, you know, because that's what I want to do in my future. Like no one's going to stay in one company forever, right? I try to be honest. And when you are being honest to others with your goal, they also want to help you with your goal. So they will actually find resources or try to make you a better maybe manager or maybe have more product managed skill. You know, like they try to help as well. And when you know your goal clear, you will also pay extra attention. Like, oh, how these people doing BD? How do they sign the contract with customer, right? Um, so you will actively learn those things because you know that's what you're going to do in the future as well, right? Like, how do they manage all the projects? Like, how like there's so many projects there. How do they manage it? What is the internal, you know, software look? like or the, uh, how how's the uh, human structure looks like right you, you will learn 
all these uh, through those experience. But I'm not saying if you are directly from academia to uh, like entrepreneur or startup uh, is a bad thing. Even though I worked in Ginkgo for five years, like I start my own company, there's still a lot to learn, right? From the law to the tax to insurance, you know, like like random stuff to, of course, like all those investment terms, you're going to learn them anyway, and you can never learn enough. So I wouldn't that wouldn't necessarily suggest you must have to go to industry for like few years because there's never an end to learning. If you feel this is the right timing for you to do something, you should do it. Right. And if you believe in your own learning skill, I think you can learn all of them anyway. Like I know so many amazing entrepreneurs directly coming from PhD to like startup. They're fantastic. Um, yeah. So I think there is no particular way, you know, to certain route. Can we go more into what these protein maps look like and how you're actually modeling this? Are you modeling using computational methods? Can you share a bit more how that works? Definitely. Yeah. So all very, very valid question. Um, so a few things, right? We are not a um, a computational company only, right? We have a computational pipeline. Uh, I think you did said it in the uh, intro very well. And we also have our experimental platform to validate all these. So there are four major modules of the whole system. One is like you mentioned, a machine learning driven a prediction, right? So you can imagine now, let's say we're going after certain cancer, right? And there's so many patients, you got all the patient data. So do we actually need tumor sample from the patient? Actually, no. All we need is the sequencing file from the patient. So it's digitalized. Uh, usually, you know, can, uh, because cancer is very related with uh, genetic, like DNA information. So usually patient, uh, cancer patient uh, will do like whole genome sequencing, although this is less frequent because that's like a whole genome, like every single like DNA are being sequenced. Majority of the time they're doing exome sequencing or called panel sequencing means like some of the genes they're interested. Um, so we can take any because if you give us less data, we can do like smaller map for you, right? But if you give us a whole genome, we can give you a much more complete map. Uh, but you can imagine we can find like right now we're finding majority of the uh, patient data or the sequencing data from public database. So it's very complete and there are enough data set to to let us start. So what it is, is once we get this digital file, right, there are 18,000 different proteins in human. So you can imagine if I'm doing all the mapping for this 18,000 proteins, that's going to be millions of interactions, right? That's a lot. So how can I be smarter of choosing it, right? That's where the machine learning come from is, all right, before I'm doing crazy experiment, right? Remember the thing I'm talking about? Maybe I can simulate it first, right? So we're using uh, like, Few, few ones that we're using is, for example, AlphaFold, right? Develop my deep mind. Um, there are like Rosetta and MIT has also its own uh, protein structure uh, prediction tool and they're all open source. So we also changed the algorithm a little bit to match with uh, what we wanted to look at, right? The interface of the protein interaction. So we would run these uh, simulations first before we're doing any experiment. And we would have a score to each of the protein interactions, right? So we will know, oh, okay, these are the top 100 are super relevant and we should probably look at them first. And these are the second tier of maybe 200. I'm just making the number up to give you an idea, right? So you can get a score of every protein interaction. Uh, then what we do at uh, current stage, because we're ju we just started a month ago, right? We started looking, okay, of all these 100 protein interaction, what do they look like in my cell, 
right? So uh, this will talk a little bit more into our platform. That is, uh, we engineer the yeast so that when you put two DNA that translate into two different proteins, right? When I put two DNAs in one cell, if the two proteins are interacting, then the microbe will survive or it will shine color. Like it, it can have different readout, depends on what I want. So it will have some kind of feature, okay? If the protein is not interacting, then the microbe will commit suicide. It will die uh, or it will shine another color, right? So depend, uh, again, depends on the readout. So you can imagine now if I grow a cell with two protein in one location, a cell with two other protein in another location, ba ba ba. I make a million of them, right? I grow at different location. I let it grow. Few days later, I go to check how do they look like, right? And then I can just use the phenotypical readout. For example, oh, this one is alive. Good. The two things I put in it are interacting together. Uh oh, this one is dead. That means the two proteins I put in it are not working together, right? Vice versa. You can say ah, third one, blah blah blah. The number thousand one, right? So so it's a very high throughput. And you take a photo because I know what two proteins I put in each of them. The photo, like we wrote our own software, the software will parse the photo into a map because I know exactly two I put in there here draws a line means there's an interaction these two I put in there are not interacting therefore there's no interaction I don't draw a line so you will get tons of dots and tons of lines connecting these dots right these become a map uh, and all the whole process I'm mentioning about growing them transforming them mating them are all done by uh, robots like our team right now only have two people Right, me and my co-founder and another, uh, we also have another uh, person remote, uh, but, but for the scientists, we only have two, right? Um, so you can imagine like two people handling like thousands of interactions is crazy, right? But because we're using robot, everything is so streamlined. All we need to do is that designing the experiment, like standing on the side and watch everything happening. I think this is part of the engineered uh, mindset that me and my co-founder take from past experience. Yeah. And that sounds like a really interesting process that you're going through right now. And I just wanted to ask, could you kind of give us an overview of a day in your life as entrepreneurs slash scientists that are you're working in the lab, but also managing these more entrepreneurial tasks? How do you manage both of those aspects of creating a startup? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, before, I also like to ask the, this type of question to like my friends or whatever. But now I realize this question is tricky for entrepreneurs because you know what? I felt like every day in my past two months are very different. At least they can be categorized into multiple type of different days. Like make one example, like my past two weeks are absolutely very different with before because first of all, we're close to YC demo day, right? Uh, so you, you are doing a lot of VC talks, right? Like make yesterday as an example, I first like have our daily catch-up meeting, right? With my co-founder. And then we we plan, he will talk about the experiment plan. I will talk about my uh, VC plan. How's the VC fundraising going? And then I got seven calls in one day. Uh, that's actually a pretty low load day, you know? But before my seven calls, I was like, you know what? I got like a 40 minutes to help you do experiment. Like, tell me what to do. And then I'm like spinning tubes, you know, in the lab. <laughs> yeah. And then like, you know, doing, uh, preparing the PCR material. And then I realized, oh, okay, great. Now it's my time to do the, the, the VC talk. And I head to the conference room and then just talking to like the same pitch to different VC seven times, you know? Uh, which is crazy, you know, and every single time you have to sound very passionate because the number seven one doesn't know you already, this is the number seven time you talk, right? This is the first time to them. So you got to pretend this is the first time to you as well. <laughs> so, so that is very, 
that is difficult, you know, especially if you're doing seven calls one after other. And after that, I continue to the lab and do experiment that there are many other things. For example, like, you know what? It's almost tax season, right? Like April something, we got to file the federal tax. Then like preparing all those materials. If your company is big, they're like HR department can do that, right? But when your company only have two people, the CEO got to do everything, right? I, I have to do the tax. And there are also like our shared lab is asking us for some other documentation on the insurance. So it's just very, very different. You are just switching hats on everything, right? Yeah, that sounds like you have a very hectic but interesting day every day. It's like kind of something new, which is really exciting, I think. For the next question, I really wanted to get an idea about the future applications of your technology. So you mm. mentioned that it's for creating drugs for cancer specifically. But do you see this product going further than cancer into potentially other diseases? Where do you see this company growing in the future? Yes, uh, that's a great question. So we published a paper in Nature Genetics 2021, actually talking about this protein-protein interaction relationship with there are 33 types of different cancers and a very wide range of disorder, like uh, respiratory, heart, and neurological diseases. And we actually also found this PPI really relevant with autism, uh, which you have no idea, like how crazy like uh, people are, I wouldn't say affected, but yeah, like had something to do with autism and there's actually no drug for it. All you can do is take like special school, right? So yeah, it can apply to a very wide range of disorders. Uh, so we, that's definitely something it's on our radar. Once we done a lot in cancer, we definitely want to expand and help more. Another thing is we also wanted to leverage our platform to be utilized for many other things, right? For example, like we can totally collaborate with pharma we can co-develop drug or if some pharma company, they're doing some other disorders, uh, current stage, right? Maybe we're not entering that area yet, but they wanted to use our platform to do some services, let's say mapping the protein interaction for whatever cell line they're interested, or if they're interested in drug screening, right? For certain protein-protein interaction, we can totally help with that, right? So that is also another kind of like the business direction we're going is we're offering service as well. Oh, that sounds amazing. I mean, I think neurological disorders and psychological disorders seem like an interesting and important path to go down, especially since treatments currently are still very scarce and not specific for specific patients. So yeah. I think that's an amazing thing you're doing with your startup. I wanted to ask you, what advice would you give to someone who is interested in going into this entrepreneurship space and biotechnology? And what would you tell them? So there are a few things, right? One is to enter the entrepreneurship. The second is entrepreneurship in biotech. Because biotech, I would say it's still very different, right? Because let's just say we're in YC, right? Like a lot of the YC advice is super relevant, but you would see the tractions for a SaaS company and a biotech is just absolutely different. Like when you signing like a L, like intention of like partnership in a SaaS company, like it's actually easier because the product you see is in your daily life, right? Mm -hmm. But when you talking with a pharma to say, hey, do you want to sign like a intention of a collaboration form? They will be like, sure. And then like three months later, and you know how big companies, how slow they move, right? That's just what the industry is. It's very, very regulated. It's very different. So first I will say, if you want to enter entrepreneurship in biotech, I think you, I would say some experience are definitely needed. 
depends on what you do. A PhD is not required, but the domain knowledge is absolutely required, right? You 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 cannot say like I never learned biotech and I want to do a biotech startup. In my opinion, I think it, there is no impossible. Okay, so that can happen, but I think it will be harder, right? So if you have some don- domain knowledge, I would say that's very important. And then in terms of suggestion for people who go into entrepreneur, I, I really think entrepreneur is a lifestyle. If you're someone who are really, really risk advert or hate changes or don't like uncertainty, this may not be the best job. I think you can live happier, you know, also, but if your life goal is to live miserable, I would say go ahead. But if your <laughs> life goal is to like, I don't know, be happy and live longer, I think you should choose something that make you happy and suitable for you, right? I don't think everyone needs to do be an entrepreneur. Like I, I actually know some friends who become entrepreneur and they hate it. You know, they just want to quit and start their normal job in a big company, you know, which is absolutely fine because some people just like stable job, just like, regular like prediction right they're they're just different characteristic so I think you probably should ask yourself am I okay with risks am I okay with uncertainty which means I don't even know what happened tomorrow or or what if something doesn't happen like the way I want which happened all the time right ask yourself these questions if the answer is well you know what I, I like that I like uncertainty I like creativity I like risks then I, or I like when the VC not give me money, you know, there's only one month left, uh, VC don't give me money, but I still have confidence that I can make it. Then I think this is really good for you. This, I would say these are the most important. And then I think it's the qualification, like, do I know much or something? Because um, I, I forget where did I heard this? People were asking, do you think IQ, like, like, you know, your intelligence is more important or something else is important? Almost every single one think intelligence is the least important here, which means like you really don't have to be the smartest person or something to be a good entrepreneur. Yeah, I think determination, grit, and flexibility in entrepreneurship is really important. And also, I want to add one bit more on it is uh, sometimes I often hear people say, oh, I'm not an extrovert. I can't do entrepreneurship. I don't know how, how to get the idea that you got to be an extrovert to be an entrepreneur because they may think like you have to go out and talk. You, you know, if you're the founder, you have to always facing people or stuff like that. But really, there are many very, very successful entrepreneurs or like businessmen or whatever. They are introvert like they have. I really think it's more the characteristic is like, you know, like if something doesn't happen well, right? Like, for example, I'm I'm on the bottom of the valley, but I just believe by climbing, trying, and I'm able to make it versus that, okay, I'm dead. I'm just going to sit here or like, oh my God, I can't even imagine being in the like bottom of the valley, right? I think these are the more important thing in terms of like, if you're not an extrovert, I wouldn't even stress about it at all. Like this is something I must need to be an entrepreneur. Like that's really not important. Yeah, I'd, I definitely agree. I'm actually an introvert and I'm hosting a podcast, so it might seem counterintuitive, but <laughs> I think you can really come out of your shell when you're pitching about something you're really excited and passionate about. So I agree with you on that point 100%. My last question is, what do you think is an experience that kind of shaped that drive that you have currently in your career and what really shaped you into who you are today? Okay, yeah, I, I wouldn't say like one or two things, right? Because I truly believe, I don't think growth is a gradual thing. I think you do grow stagely, like all of a sudden, you just felt like, Oh, my God, I learned so much. And I 
I growed a lot. Like you never grow right? Like a steps, right? So there are multiple things, right? One thing is my father is he's never a success, but good thing is he can't understand English. So he will never, <laughs> never know what I'm talking about. So he is not a successful businessman by any means, but he is such a trier to be a businessman. He has tried to dig gold. When I say dig gold, I literally means grab a tool and go to the mountain and dig gold. And he has tried to sell wine, you know, do transport, like, like exportation of wine. Like it's so not relevant. He trying to like travel agency, like, oh my God, he has done like so many, he has a real job. He stopped the job. He's so like in China, what you do is you can stop a job with get, without getting paid, but the position is waiting you there. But I don't think they have this anymore because, you know, like that everybody's taking advantage of this, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so he, yeah, so he just thought he has tried to build a swing pool in our small hometown that nobody will ever go to swim. So he, so he lost all the money, you know, and then the gold also like then later on, the government stopped the personal gold digging. So uh, almost everything he did is, oh yeah, he also started a own restaurant, which actually make money but what happened is the chef and the front desk lady start a relationship so they actually steal the money which my dad funded out after the, the restaurant closed you know so you can you can imagine how many things are going wrong so i'm just seeing like all these things and then people are like of course all my family my like my mom is like you are not the material to do this blah 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 right but he never stopped trying to keep like trying new things and lose money <laughs> so so somehow in my opinion you know like you you are affected by your people surround you right so i just felt in my opinion i felt like you know what try new things and fail it's okay. It's so normal. You know, your family is still there. And, you know, it's, it's a, it's a common thing for a lot of people. They were like, Oh my God, I started this. What if I failed? You know, I'm not saying I do this to, to, to fail. Right. But what I mean is I wouldn't be too scared by failure. I think that's pretty important. So that's absolutely one thing that affects me. And another thing I just felt like, so when I was a kid, I'm actually not very confident. I'm very shy. I'm an introvert, but I think now I'm an absolute extrovert. So what I realized the changing point is before I'm very, I don't have confidence for a lot of the things I say or do, you know, but I don't even know how I I just realize what if I try to be confident and, uh, you know, like try to look confident for whatever I say, or, you know, like, or show that I'm confident. So then I realized there is a big change. First of all, you personally become more and more confident, you know, because of a lot of people, when they talk confidently, they need to really brainwash themselves for a long time, encourage themselves to be able to uh, sound sounding, right? Like that to appear very like uh, legit or whatever. But for me at the beginning, it is very hard. But the more I try, the more I realize, oh my God, like being confident is not that difficult. And then I, I think when you have the confidence, you just felt like you can do many things. And the more you think you can do more things, you will do more things. And the more you do things that give you more confidence, you know what I mean? That's a, that's a, like a positive loop, right? When, when we're saying genetic circuit, it's like a positive loop. It's just getting stronger and stronger, bigger and bigger. Then you just start dare to dream. Does that make sense? That Then you just felt like, oh, you know what? Why can't I do that, right? So when you are dare to dream, I think it's important because I really think a lot of the people, their talents can do the thing I'm doing. You know, so this is this is another another thing I want to mention is uh, sometimes when people do startup, they are unwilling to share their 
like even basic ideas. And then one time I was talking to this to someone and they were like, you know what? You should never be uh, afraid to share. The reason is because there are not many people on earth hearing this great idea will actually start to do this good idea. So thinker and doer are totally two different things. So if you're willing to dream and willing to do it, you are already way beyond you know, a lot of people. So I really think like, just try to be confident. I know this is sounds easy, but it's really hard because you have to like go through a lot of mental process. Right. But yeah, like I felt like these definitely like slowly, I, I realized like I'm absolutely a different person when I was in middle school, high school uh, versus now. Like if you ask my classmate, they'll be like, oh, like, how do you talk like this? Right. They will be like, you are not like this. Even my grandma always say, but although in her mind, introvert is the best like like speak less you know uh in like my family culture or my, my grandma's point of view it's more you know traditional asian lady figure yeah you should never talk too much and she will always be how can you become so bad <laughs> you know in her mind this is bad but like i i don't care you know like i i, I felt like i know what am i doing but what i try to say is you definitely are changing throughout the time and i always like think back to like, what have you changed? And is this something you want, right? If it is, then enhance it. If it's not, then do some pivoting, right? Yeah, those are amazing messages that you're sharing with me. I really loved your story about your dad. And I think definitely <laughs> he probably learned so much from all those failures. And if anything else, he got a great story out of them. I'm sure he can tell other people um, about his wonderful experiences trying new things. And I think it's just having that life experience, especially in entrepreneurship. Even though you fail, like you will definitely gain something from it. Can I add one point there? Because that's really funny is I did ask my dad about that, right? I was like, so what do you what do you feel or something? Like, what have you learned? So the thing is, uh, every time I ask him what he learned, he is never able to say what he learned. However, he always say the sentences, you guys never know my mission and my vision. He would say this to my, like, all the family members don't understand my mission and vision. And then I was like, okay, so first of all, you cannot summarize what you learn, but you're just so confident that you have a vision. You know what I'm saying? It's like, sometimes when you hear this so much, you'll be like, okay, you know what? Why can't I have that confidence? You, right? you know, I, I'm, I'm not sure how much he learned. Maybe he learned a lot. He just not able to summarize or, or he didn't want to talk about it or whatever. But I just encourage people to have more confidence like by learning from like people like my dad right like like he he just somehow still have the confidence after so many failures and I just felt like well, you know what if he has this I can have it too yeah I mean definitely being driven by a vision and a mission is amazing just ending off this interview thank you so much for sharing your journey with us and your expertise it's really been an amazing episode and yeah just thank you so much Thank you. This is cool. Yeah. I hope hope this helps. <laughs> Girl Tech Talk is a podcast created by Girl Tech Boss. Thank you so much for listening and stay tuned for our next episode.